Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now the following audio presentation has been approved for release by the soviet government and now for something completely similar and now for something completely Samala. Ladies, gentlemen, trucks. Cars, boats. We're really reaching out to the uh, uh, maximum overdrive crowd. Uh, we made you. We made you. I would ask the question though: Who made who? Who made who? Ooh, 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 ooh. I don't think that's how that goes. What yeah. I was doing. You were doing what I think the song is. Oh, Me, I okay. wasn't. I mean, you're talking about the biggest ACDC fan in the land right yeah, well, here. Well, I mean, when I think of ACDC, I think of two people. I think of, uh, uh, was it Beavis? And I think of Brendan. Beavis and Brendan. Beavis and Brendan. My favorite MTV spinoff. <laughs> Guys, this is a podcast. This is kind of Beavis and Brendan, the podcast right here. <laughs> fuck. This is a podcast. Oh, wait, no, no, Beavis is... <laughs> Bang hole. See? I did Beavis. This is a podcast. This is a podcast, technically. <laughs> I'm Brendan. Oh, and I'm Jason. And this is a podcast called For Screen and Country. And what do we do, Jason? Well, normally we talk about movies on the British Top 100 list as prepared by the British Film Institute in the year of our Lord 1999. I'm in. But sometimes for fun, and also because, you know, we like to we like to stretch things out. We like to make things last. We're letting this roll around in your mouth, right? Because if we just burn through the list, right, then you'd be you'd be done with us. But we're not letting it happen. We're going to, it's like we're jerking you off, right? And then we're just going to stop right near the end. We're just going to, what is that called? That's edging? Name, edging, that's it. We're going to edge you. And as Why part, do I know that? Thank you, Brendan. And as part of this edging process, uh, we're doing a little sub-series called Now for Something Completely Similar, where we talk about movies that are reminiscent of, similar to, sequels about prequels from other movies and today brendan yes we are looking at one of the more infamous of these uh, uh remakes prequels sequels uh in this case a remake the transoceanic remake of our quite uh beloved film our film. 19 what was it 1972 our film our film that we made it oh you guys no. might, have, might have seen it it's called uh, the day of the jackal stars yeah. edward fox but in 1997 somebody thought hey that's a pretty good movie what if we did it again except we made it american and we put bruce willis in it and that was an okay idea but that's not even what happened brendan is it well we're gonna get into it we will we're gonna talk about <laughs> the jackal
And with that goddamn badass musical opening, we begin a movie of which that might be the most interesting part. Spoiler alert. I'm just going to lay this out right now so we know what we're getting into when we talk about this movie. This is The Jackal, 1997. This movie is fucking terrible. <laughs> this movie is not good. You're going a little further than I would, but yes, this is not this is not a great remake uh, uh, or, you know, even even in a vacuum, this movie on its own maybe isn't is pretty conventional and not that interesting. I feel like it's not much of a spoiler alert. You you're watching an episode of a podcast about the movie The Jackal from 1997. I don't think you're expecting us to be like, "Oh, it's a misunderstood classic." I was going to say that well that would be the bigger surprise, wouldn't it? That yeah. would that would be the thing you wouldn't want to spoil is if we were both like this is a modern masterpiece and Bruce Willis deserves an Oscar for every second he's on screen. <laughs> well, speaking of Bruce Willis, this does star Bruce Willis as the Jackal. Yeah. Uh, basically the Edward Fox role. Yes. Um we have Richard- well, Did I mention in the in the Day of the Jackal episode it's kind of weird that we have Edward Fox being the Jackal? One animal it. being another animal. And then here we have a Willis being a jackal. Yeah, what is that all about? What are you talking about, Jason? Let us know. Let us know what I'm talking about on Twitter. <laughs> we have Richard Gere. And yes, I know you want to mm, talk about this. Yeah, movie. we Just will. Go, sure. Put a pin on it. Put a pin in it. But as you can tell by his character's name, we're going to have to talk about stuff because he plays Declan Mulqueen. Mulqueen. Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly his last name until I read it written down. Sidney Poitier in his final film role. Final film role? The man's still alive. There's still time. He's, as of 2020, this is his final film role. Yes. Uh, playing FBI Deputy Director Carter Preston. We have Diane Venora playing Major Koslova. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Matilda May, who uh, you uh, filmgoers may know as the naked lady in Life Force. <laughs> she is playing uh, Isabella. I've not seen Life Force, but... Now maybe I should. Jason, it's crazy. I didn't plan for this, but we have J.K. Simmons again. Of course we do. We love him. <laughs> we talked about him last week, and he's playing Agent Witherspoon. Has a lot less to do in this movie. He has movie. about, what, four lines in this movie maybe? But he's there, and, he, and you know, it's just nice having him around. Um, I think this is a funny credit. Sophie, Sophie Okonedo plays Jamaican Girl. She's she's someone that's she's been in a lot of stuff. I can't. Who was she? Pinpoint. Who was Jamaican girl? Don't even know. Don't even remember. And last but not least. Oh wait, was she the maybe the the girl at the beginning that made the passport for him seem real nice? Yes, that's likely. Who that, that was the one one moment of like humanity that yeah. we saw. Is he was nice to this girl. I I expected him to kill her. Yeah. Um. And then last but not least, Jason, we have uh before he was famous appearance from Jack Black. Yes. As. Ian Lamont, which is a weird name for a character like that. Which I don't know that his name is ever uttered on screen, but... They say Lamont. Oh, yeah. do they? Lamont? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Lamont. Lamont. Lamont is a weird... Fruit. Yeah, it's... So... Louisiana, maybe. <laughs> now, we're going to get into this. One thing I want to say right off the bat, just to lay this all, all out. All right, get it on the table. Day of the Jackal. We both agreed. We talked about that movie. We both loved that movie. I, I That is one of my favorite movies we have watched in this entire series. And, and the, I think the striking thing about that movie was how basic it was. Basic, but dense. Dense, but like little things early yeah. on to set up later things, but not super obvious. No. Um, and then you kind of feel like that feeling of like, oh, and it kind of rewards you. Day as of you the watch. Jackal, uh, in, uh, to reiterate what I probably said on the podcast, feels like almost like a dispassionate, not dispassionate, that's maybe the wrong word, but it's a very clear chronicle mm-hmm. of a situation. 
as it ha- like like step by step by step we go through it but we it's see it's procedural it's very procedural and we mainly see it from the perspective of the jackal himself and from the inspector yeah uh, and that's kind Clu- of the two Clouseau. Or, yeah Clouseau absolutely <laughs> wouldn't that be oh wow wow man what if we remade Day of the Jackal but with Clouseau chasing the jackal I, I mean Peter Sellers would die in the opening scene absolutely <laughs> we got lots of footage of Peter Sellers it wouldn't be the first time we just re-edited it <laughs> oh my god it'd be a real that's, sky captain that's a situation. real good like fan project to try to re-edit day of the jackal and like a bunch of clouseau movies and do its own movie i love it <laughs> and have the same last shot from day of the jackal where he flies back when he gets shot yeah and then like clouseau like slaps his head or something and like oh mon dieu i didn't mean to shoot you <laughs> so yeah so that's what i want to that's what i want to say like right away yeah. um we love that movie so and the, any remake of a movie that we like that much is has an uh a hill to climb it has yeah. an uphill battle for yeah. sure the the stuff i love about that movie is like it's like they t- they went the complete opposite way here mm. um and it, this is if people ask like you know how people always say like oh you know foreign films when they get remade in america they have there's all these like tropes that yeah. they go for this is like exhibit A. Yeah, pretty much. This yeah. is like if I had to pick a movie to show someone to be like, this is an example of how it doesn't work. Mm. This might be on that list. Yeah. So let's let's can we briefly just talk about what it is? So it's it's similar idea in, in the most basic level. The two movies are very similar, but weirdly they try to recreate a few scenes. They do absolutely which, like right right off the bat, but they don't work because work they're well. not done in the same context. Like no. they're not they're not given the weight of the original movie. Like. I'll just say right now, just just to throw this out there, okay. um, there is a scene in this movie similar to the original where we find out there's a mole yeah. in the uh, in in the FBI slash Russian whatever. Yeah. And in the original movie, it's done as like a, it's a cool thing leading up to it because you see he's with this girl. You, yeah. s- you know the girl is like part of the um, terrorists. Yeah. And uh, you know that this is going on, and then eventually when he gets found out, there's a reason for yes. it, and we understand it. This is just completely random. He just kind of gets found out, and it's like, okay, so this wasn't, like, telegraphed at all. It just kind of happened? That's it. Like, they just... Yeah. Uh, by the way, that guy, by the way, that gets figured out... He looks really he's familiar. In the, he's also... No, but he's in the opening scene. He's sitting next to the Russian dude who gets shot. How did they not know that guy was dirty? Uh, like, I thought that was a mistake. I looked, and I was like, is that the same guy? <laughs> So anyway, yeah, that's what I mean. This is the the biggest kind of example yeah. of how this movie does not understand the original movie. Is that yeah. the the it, it doesn't hold the, the same similarities weight. basically boil down to the jackal is a a nameless uh, killer who is hired to kill a prominent person, and in doing so, asks for a very large amount of money because that he's then going to have to disappear. It's going to have to be his last job type thing. And then uh, we see him trying to accomplish that objective. In this movie, we don't know who his target is. No, we not, assume, not right off the bat. We assume that it's the FBI director. Yes, that comes up a little bit later. But but initially, he has just shown a picture of her, which we don't see. And then the picture is thrown into a shredder by a, a Russian mob boss. Now, okay, now here's an interesting point of this movie. So the very opening scene we heard with that badass fucking late 90s industrial, like Command and Conquer Red Alert sounding shit overlaid this like montage of old Soviet propaganda footage, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking they were like, oh yeah, so there's going to be like a super deep Russian connection here and it's going to be like some thriller. And yeah, the beginning of the movie takes place. They're in Russia. They're going after a Russian mobster for some reason. Are they they FBI? 
Sidney Poitier is FBI. He's FBI, which technically I isn't a domestic U.S. police yeah, force, which doesn't make a lot like of a, sense. It's like some kind of joint effort. And, you know, and this was in the 90s when we thought, you know, the Russians were our buds, right? We, yeah. we got over the Cold War and we were trying to, like, work together. We, we got over our cold That's war. right, we did. Uh, uh, now we have a new cold. It's called COVID-19. Uh, too soon. Still happening. Um, yeah, so so they're in Russia, and then this mob boss gets killed, and then the, the other mob boss, he puts an axe in a dude's head, and then he hires the jackal to go kill someone for him in vengeance, I guess. Well, you know who that mob boss was, right? Uh, not specifically. Jason, we talked about him twice on this show oh, before. Oh, well, fill me That in. is David Heyman from Hope and Glory and Queen and Country the, the dad? dad wow That's I did him. not recognize him in that role mainly because yeah. he put an axe in a dude's head and I didn't think the guy in for Queen and Country would uh, put an axe in a dude's he head he had an axe scent <sighs> but you no know, he, and he's great in this he's only in it for like 5 minutes uh, yeah. but he's good and he and then so they have that scene at the beginning that it mirrors kind of that scene in the original where yeah. they sit down and he explains the terms of the deal and what we're doing, and here and if uh, this goes wrong, I'm out, and you give me half now, and you give me half afterwards. Like, like clearly taking details from the original movie, but yeah, it just doesn't feel quite the same. I mean, do I? I could buy Bruce Willis as a cold-hearted assassin for sure, but it just it doesn't work as well as uh, Edward Fox's version. I don't think, and I like Bruce Willis. Listen, yeah. I was like, especially when I was a kid, I was a huge Bruce Willis fan. I've enjoyed many Bruce Willis movies. Um, I do feel like he's stopped caring for the most part. But this was still at a period, I think, where he gave a half a shit. Mm-hmm. But I don't think his acting is that great in this no. movie. I think he's, I think he's trying to play it like Edward Fox did, where he was like very stern and like straightforward and no, nothing flashy. Mm. But when Bruce Willis does it in this movie, it just comes across flat. There's one moment he was quite cold that I thought was good, but I don't remember what it was. I'm going to have to pull it up here yeah. at some point. But, um, now listen, I was such a, let me just give you an insight into my Bruce Willis fandom. Okay. Sure. So I was such a big Bruce Willis fan. I'm assuming it's from Die Hard. Because um, I don't think I was a, I had watched Hudson Hawk as a child. Mm. Such a big fan that when I heard he played a villain in this movie, I refused to believe it. <gasps> I, I was like, Bruce Willis can't die in a movie. And I didn't watch it for a long, long time. Wow. And then when, <laughs> that's how, I mean, I was like 10 when yeah. this movie no, came out. No, obviously. And I, I get that because I probably would have done something similar, you know. You know, I watched it probably eventually when I was like, I don't know, 20 or something. And, and I still was shocked. Like, oh my God, he played a villain and he died. Now, of course, you know, it now you watched it and you were shocked by how bad this fucking movie is. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, this was worse than I remembered. Um, and just the style of this movie in general is nothing special. No. Like, there's the, the, the director of this movie, Michael Caton Jones, I mean... It's just it's just a movie. Like it doesn't have the the shine, like the the kind of it doesn't have anything that sets it out. Yeah, like it stands like out Day apart the, from Day other. Of the 90s. Jackal was very distinctive. Yes. in its style, and this just feels like a like a like a thriller, or political thriller from the nineties. It wouldn't be at a place as a TV movie. I mean, I'm not saying that it's that poorly shot or anything, but it's just the the way it's shot. It just feels so conventional across the board. It doesn't. There's nothing really interesting done. And you know, coupled with that. Coupled with that is the acting style. I want I want to go ahead and play the opening scene, the the scene at the club, because the acting right away, I'm just like, what is going on? This is where they're confronting um, the Russian gentleman who they eventually yes. end up uh, killing because of a scuffle. What is this? An American? Who the fuck are you? Deputy Director Carter Preston, FBI. FBI. You fuck Americans now. 
you ugly militia whore. And you go fuck yourself. This is not Chicago. This is Russia. So take your bitch and get the fuck out of here. You think I'm afraid of the MVD? <laughs> I swear I will kill you and your fucking whore mothers I if you don't get you up. Fuck you! Not... Fuck you! You scurfaced cunt! Fuck you! All right, that's enough. So Sidney Poitier does some fucking magic there with his hand. I'm not sure what's going on there. I don't know, man. I, I love Sidney Poitier. He's a fantastic actor, but I don't know. He might be a little bit miscast in this kind of role. Like, like, like he's the guy that sits behind the desk and, and, and you know, dresses people down. In the field, he just seems like a little out of place. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, at this time, this was 23 years ago. He's in his 70s. Yeah. No, early 70s. Yeah. I mean, he's not, he's, he's still alive to this day. I mean. He's 93. 93. I mean, at, at, at the time of this recording, he is still alive. Um, so, I mean, props to him. But, yeah, he's an, he's an older gentleman already in this movie. <laughs> so, it's a weird thing to, to see. But do you, do you know what I mean? Like, the acting style in that scene, and right away, it's like, it's completely different and mm. i'm not gonna also not sitting here and saying just because it's different means it's bad mm. i'm not saying that at all but it's very jarring it just doesn't seem to jive with what's going on it's like the the russian gangsters doing kind of a more cartoony thing and yeah sydney poitier is trying to i think try to be more realistic about it but he's also trying to be a little more like like assertive and it just comes off weird Speaking of cartoons, Richard Gere. <laughs> Richard Gere. Oh, oh, begorin, Jesus, barking, oh, darn, and me tell He has one of the worst Irish accents I think we've ever heard. I think that is, should we listen to it for yeah, a Yeah, can we hear some of this? Jesus. Here we go. Brace yourself, folks. I'm sorry, Mr. Brown. This man is no clown. He knows all your moves back to front. Right now, you got a name. That's all you got so the jackal's got a target. You. He's got a timetable. Messed up making mistakes. He spent 20 years in a trade that doesn't forgive error. And he's prevailed. You think he's the one that's up against this? It's the other way around. I have a theory, Brendan. That the, uh, the, the, was it Mulqueen? Mulqueen. Mulqueen. I believe Mulqueen is actually the jackal. Okay. So, and and the reason is because the Jackal also is very bad at doing accents because in, in addition to this terrible Irish accent that we get for most of the movie, and I'm not going to pretend like I know like uh, that I personally can do a perfect Irish accent, but I can look at that and go, that's not how they sound. Well, and I'm not, and I just want to stay for the record too, just because someone does a bad accent in a movie, it's not always the actor's fault. No. Sometimes it's, it's lack of time to prepare. Yeah, Sometimes they clearly it's... didn't invest resources in getting him a good vocal coach. Exactly. And he probably had to be like, well, I'll watch Darby O'Gill and the Little People and then I'll Although... do that. Although he did have one, by the way. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But the other bad uh, accent in this movie, it's, it's much smaller. But um, So, Brendan, I don't know if you noticed, but a good chunk of this movie takes place in our home country of Canada. I think all the Canadian accents are flawless. I yeah, was, no, they I were was... absolutely perfect. There's a scene where he goes into a Montreal car dealership to speak to a French person who has a very non-Quebecois-sounding French accent. We're talking about Bruce Willis? Yeah, as yeah. A, what, he, was it Charlie he, Foster? Or? When he's wearing a fat suit? Yeah, when he's like, oh, yeah, it's Charlie Foster, eh? Like, it's just the most cartoon, like, like hoser-type accent, and it made me chuckle, and it made me feel warm inside. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm here to pick up some packages. What? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. So, like, so this movie, okay, and, and that's actually part of this movie's, I mean, among many of this movie's many problems. 
the Day of the Jackal is such a like a an epic kind of movie in that it takes place. It's very international, very jet setting. He's in a lot of different places, and this movie makes a very brief attempt to do that because in the very beginning of the movie, it's like oh they're in Russia, and then oh it's Helsinki, Finland, and I'm like okay at least they're you know, but then they end up in like. Quebec, and they basically vacillate between Quebec and Chicago, maybe. Like, yeah, like they stay within Quebec, like a, Ontario, Chicago. Like, like, like you know, at most like a thousand mile radius, you know. Yeah. So it, it feels like a much smaller movie. And then, of course, add in the target. You know, in the original movie, it's Charles de Gaulle, the president of France, and killing the president of France would cause a very big political upheaval within a system that was already kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and in this movie, they who, who's our ultimate target, Brendan? I mean, at first we think it's the FBI yes. director, but we only find out it's the first lady in the last scene. Yes, Literally. the first lady, who has no name. She's the no. first lady. She's clearly Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like, like, and, and she's dressed like Hillary Clinton, and she's kind of doing the Hillary Clinton thing. Um, and she's the target. Now, why would you want to kill the first lady of the United States? What would that accomplish? And it's because he wants to make a big impact. He right. wants to make a big deal about it, which is a key difference between this movie and the original. Well, yeah, and and even though this is a political assassination attempt, it has no political context because there's no, like you said, yeah. in the original film, we know all the, we know the background, we yeah. know why they want to kill Charles de Gaulle, we know the struggles behind that. Yeah. In this movie, it's like you killed my brother, I want revenge now. Yeah, basically, it just basically boils it down to like a nothing. Mm. It's like, it's so, it loses so much. There's no that. clear objective. Obviously, you know, in the original killing Charles de Gaulle is going to set off a series of events that's going to cause upheavals in Europe. And if you're trying to accomplish something as far as political systems go, that makes sense. But he killed the first lady. That's a national tragedy and it's going to be terrible. But, you know, the nation will move on. It's not going to fall apart. I do want to ask you one thing, Jason. Yeah. Because I don't know if you know this, but originally Richard Gere and Bruce Willis were going to, were going to be the opposite roles. So I want to ask you, as bad as that Irish accent is, do you think Bruce Willis could have done a better one? <laughs> oh, my God. I've, I wish I had a machine to look into alternate universes so I could watch that movie and see how it turned out because I want to see him try. Uh, or maybe we could hire Tom Cruise because uh, since he put in such a performance in Far and Away that we oh, could... Oh, uh, Nicole Kidman, we have a house we do. <laughs> That's probably better than his accent in the movie. I really hope there's Irish listeners out there. If there are, know that we love you, and we may poke fun, but Irish people are the greatest. We're also just making fun of the horrible accents yes, that Americans yeah, and, are and I'm sure, and I would love to hear from Irish people, hey, if you have particularly hated Irish accents, or if you're a Brit and you get it, uh, uh, let us know. Yeah, I'm not sure where this, uh, where Richard Gears falls on this scale of like Tom Cruise to Brad Pitt. It's not quite <laughs> as cartoony, I think, as like Tom Cruise's uh, accent, but it's uh, it's it, just, it's, it's very, it just doesn't sound good it does feel like there's more effort from tom cruise mm-hmm. though like i feel like richard Gere is just kind of talking very quietly because by by the way dude i had to turn on the fucking subtitles because everyone was fucking mumbling this whole movie i wonder if that was an issue with the audio mix because i noticed too that the audio seemed really low in comparison to everything else i think it's i think it's just the well, this is bruce, Cam- bruce campbell i wish it was bruce campbell it was bruce willis you know and he's kind of a gravelly mumble mouth anyways yeah. sometimes no, it's Bruce Willis who's just really sleepy and yeah. and, and, and he's quiet. there. He's got to earn his paycheck. Yeah. So, and here's another big difference. So, I was talking about the difference in making a um, like. Obviously, he wants to make a big message. Where obviously, in the original, uh, Edward Fox wants to just kill De Gaulle and get away. Mm-hmm. Right. That's mm-hmm. it. He just needs him dead. That's doesn't matter. So, in the original, he has that sweet like like assembled rifle that he has that he puts inside his car, and he's able to pull it out and like yeah. assemble it into the thing. And he shoots the, the gourd watermelon. And, yep. the watermelon in the fucking woods with it. And yeah, it works great. Smart. 
Bruce uh, Willis is Jackal takes a slightly different tack, right? Oh, does he, Jason? Yeah, he gets what seems to be the biggest gun ever made. Purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I knew about this. I remembered this scene, but I was like, now having watched this again, this makes no sense. This is why is, is he not like a sniper? This this is a literally this is a gun that would be attached to a plane. This is a massive piece of ordnance that has. And he says they have depleted uranium shells. He wants to kill the first lady with depleted uranium shells. Depleted uranium shells, Brendan, are used to puncture tank armor. Mm-hmm. You don't. You, I mean, you want to vaporize the first lady because that's what you're going to do with the DU. And then you're going to give everybody else Gulf War syndrome from all the fucking uranium dust. And, and listen, I'm just going to say it right here. Controversial statement, Jason. I'm going to lay it out. Any of you jackals out there, if you need this type of weapon to assassinate someone, guess what? You're not a good assassin. Yeah, you're, you're not, not a, not a good, good assassin at all. This guy's supposed to have this reputation as this really good assassin, but he buys the biggest fucking gun he can get. I can assassinate someone with that gun. Now, like, now there, is, there is one thing. It is a remote-operated gun. Right? right? So yeah, obviously that's that's pretty cool. That means he can set it up somewhere, he can go elsewhere and he can use it. But does it but that still doesn't account for the fact that it is a piece of like vehicle ordnance that could destroy a tank. It they literally say in the movie at one point, it fires a hundred shots before the first bullet hits someone. Yeah. And I'm like, that's insane. Yeah. And so and and we eventually meet Jack Black, uh Lamont. <laughs> Yeah, and Lamont uh, is hired to basically build a, a stand for it, like a base. This is another scene that copies the original because yeah. in the original you remember he gets to somebody, but it's a little different. Yeah, in the original he has someone make IDs for him. Yeah, and then he says throw out the negatives, and the guy was well, like, "Well, that guy gives him the like the fucking like he haggles with him, doesn't he? And tries yeah, to get well, more money. No, out but of that's him. what happens here. Though. That's what happens here. But in this one, the the passport woman she like lowballs him because yeah. in the original he he gets charged like three thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. And no, in this they, she only charges him like three hundred. He's like, ah, here's five. I mean. I mean, they flip who the characters are, yeah. but it's essentially the same scene where he tries to blackmail him. And uh, in, in Day of the Jackal, he he literally just strangles him. Yeah. And that's it. In this one, it's a little more over the top. A little more fun. So, yeah, Lamont builds him the, the stand and he charges him, what, 50 grand for it? 40 grand, actually. Yeah. And when he comes back, he's like, oh, I think it's all worth a little more, maybe. You pay me a little more money, maybe? And Bruce Willis is like, okay, I'll give you 50 more grand. And so they take him out. He's like, can we go test this thing? So they go to the woods. And yeah, he fires it and misses, and then he uses Jack Black to test the tracking of it. He's like, run! <laughs> and so Jack Black has to run his fat ass across the fucking swamp. And he shoots his goddamn arm off. Yeah, he shoots his goddamn arm off, which again, one scene I remember from this movie. That's, from... that's the same one. Yeah. Uh, shoots his arm off and then makes him run over toward the car. Oh, that's the cold scene. This is this is the cold coldest I see Bruce Cam- uh, Bruce Campbell. Damn it, I wish you it was really Bruce want Campbell. Bruce Campbell to be I really in this movie. I really wish it was Bruce Campbell. He, he shoots Jack Black and then he's like, groovy, groovy. No, he's like, uh, so he shoots his arm off. Because the whole time he's been like running and he's like left, right, left, left. And then he shoots his arm off and he's like, okay, I'm going to need you to go over near the car. And he, Jack Black is, of course, screaming in shock. He's in pain. The guy shot his fucking arm off. He's like, no, I just need to go over near the car. Please go over to the car. And then he gets over to the car and he fucking opens up on the car, full auto, blows it to pieces. Yep. Jack Black dies. And flaming ball. I, I got to say, um, Jack Black is in his limited screen time in this movie pretty hilarious yeah he makes he makes a lot of it he really uh uh amps up the annoying asshole aspect of jack black because well, that's what he's supposed to be actually let's listen to jack black for a bit just talking to uh bruce willis while he's trying to set up the gun and then i'll tell you i'll tell you what michael Caton jones gave him as his direction motherfucker that motherfucker is state-of-the-art Dude, I 
I knew it was gonna be big. I didn't know it was gonna be the fucking prototype cannon. <laughs> it's a fucking mouth troll. Damn. It's an area looking around. Made from depleted uranium. I go through anything. Once they get inside, they just spall. Hell yeah, they spall, yeah? They get in there, they just... That rocks. Look at the freaking lens on that Don't thing. Don't touch that. Got like 2,000 mile zoom lens. Thing is kick-ass. Dude, is this thing a prototype or what? I bet you it costs you a shitload. That rocks. Man, you rock. Do you know what I'm saying? Rock! <laughs> it kicks ass. Ah, uh, yeah. Bring on the spall, baby. I can't wait to see Come the fuck. Close your mouth. So, Michael Keaton Jones told Jack Black, unbeknownst to Bruce Willis, I don't have dialogue for this scene. I just want you to do your best to, to annoy the fuck out of Bruce Willis. <laughs> and yeah, I think he did. It. That's absolutely what he was <laughs> he doing. Did. And he did it. And apparently Bruce was like, this fucking guy. <laughs> and the director was like, no, no, I told him to do that. So it's all good. <laughs> I just think that's funny. That's a real glimpse into like his, uh, I mean, his, his improv is not like amazing, but he is definitely achieving the goal of being oh, annoying yeah Bruce no Willis. that's he's that character and and we don't feel quite as bad when he gets blown away <laughs> the art of disguise yes we we talked about that a little bit in day of the jackal mm. but can we talk about bruce willis's disguises for only 45 minutes yeah uh there's there's quite a few ones um they often involve changing his hair and yeah. uh adding facial hair douchebag goatees and such although though that one canadian guy he wears a full fat suit for the product full fat suit which seems like, like a, it seems extreme he but. must have a lot of luggage yes oh absolutely yeah exactly unless he's got like so many safe houses stashed all over the world with wardrobes of clothes he's like he's the equivalent of roger from american dad but he's an assassin <laughs> <laughs> he likes to dye his hair different colors and like some of the disguises i'm just like what's the point of this one like there there's one point there's one point where he gets on a boat He's in the middle of the ocean, and then we cut away, and we cut back, and he's in a different disguise. And I'm yeah. like, why? It's like his hair is a different color, and he's wearing like a different shirt. And it's not that different of a disguise. No. no. And I'm like, who is this for? That's when he is that when he changes the name on his boat. <laughs> Which also I noticed he takes the Canadian flag down off the boat and puts up an American flag, and I'm pretty sure that Canadian flag is a bootleg Canadian flag because that maple leaf did not look right. Oh shit! Look, it looked misshapen, and I don't approve of that. If you're going to use the maple leaf, you get an officially licensed Canadian maple leaf. God damn it! You pay, you pay our government. By the way, when he wears that fat suit, I got a real like nutty professor vibe. From him. <laughs> I wanted him to be like. Hercules, Hercules. Well, he he had the accent, eh? He was doing that. Oh, Canadian, eh? I have another question too. I have a question for you, Jason. Okay. Are you Marlon Brando? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question. Why do these? Okay, you you agree with me? He's presented as like this genius assassin yeah. type. That's, that's what precision, everybody seems to think what he does. Yeah. Precision. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's got a plan. Mm-hmm. He he had, makes no mistakes. Thinking about Edward Fox in the original, he was very, you know, that guy was very precise. He knew exactly what he was doing. So why does he hire the stupidest people to help him? <laughs> like, this is not even just a problem in this movie. This is a problem in a lot of movies, but yeah. like Jack Black... 
Jack Black's character alone, like, is a total dumb piece of shit. Yeah. And, like, I, I just... You'd think somebody at that level would have the connections to not have to work with these well, people. he did kill him, so he did tie that loose end up, at least. <laughs> but, I mean, you know... Th- you could, I mean, again, maybe it's not shown in the movie. Maybe he's just the only guy that could do that. Maybe he's literally the only guy that knows how to build that sort of stand that he needed. I really think there must have been another person that could build a mount for him. Maybe. But maybe this guy was skeevy enough and they have enough dirt on him that he keeps his mouth shut. Like, it's, you know, you can't just go to your local carpenter and be like, yeah, I need you to build this stand for my fifty caliber machine gun, sniper rifle, with telescoping. Well, ammo. he's also shocked that Jack Black figures out kind of what he needs the, the stand for. And I'm like... I'm pretty sure this is a very specific type of thing. Like, why yeah. are you shocked? Why Why would he put so much resources into building this thing out of titanium if it wasn't for something like a fucking gun? Um, okay, so we talk about differences. Huge difference in this movie is the inclusion of Richard Gere's character at all. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of secondary. Because uh, theoretically, Sidney Poitier is kind of the equivalent of, of the Inspector character in the yeah. original. Sidney Poitier as Inspector Clouseau. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. Most dignified idiot ever. Sidney Poitier's people, if you're listening, please pitch it to him. Uh, we'd be happy to produce. Get him on the set now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him fighting Kato. That's what I want to see. Kato Kalen. Ka- Kato Kalen will play Kato. That's amazing. Oh, man, we got this figured out. Cheers. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, and so, it, and so he was the equivalent of the inspector, but then there's also these ancillary characters that there are other characters, but we don't really see much of them in, in Day of the Jackal. They're less important. Whereas we have prominently we have Declan played by Richard Gere, and then we have the the Russian lady with the scar on her face. Well, and it, th- those people didn't bother me so much. It's that they have to like be like, oh, we're hiring an expert. Yeah, it's the whole Richard Gere yeah. storyline part because they the, the story goes in this movie they hire this guy he's former IRA mm-hmm. and they, and of course they do that movie thing where they go out of their way to say that he's not a bomber he's yeah, never killed no, women no. or children and he wears a black leather jacket which I feel like every single time there's an IRA member in a, in a movie they wear a black black leather jacket he's no uh, Stephen um, from the Crying Game yeah Stephen no. Rhea yeah no. he's not he's not Stephen Rhea. Um, but yeah, they make a big deal out of they make a huge concession out of saying he's, he's one not of the a, good ones. He's one of the good IRA guys. Yeah. And um, no, but they get this guy to come in as an expert, or basically they get him to help them track down someone else. This Isabella girl who yeah. apparently has seen the jackal, um, and it's just like this is just feels so lazy to it's, me. It's so unnecessary because in the original we remember like the driving force to stop the jackal was that they needed to stop Charles de Gaulle from being assassinated. That right. There was, there was like direct global stakes on the line. It was cat and mouse. Absolutely. In this one though, it becomes like they they use this dude because he has a personal grudge. Because we later learned in the movie, very late in the movie, that this jackal character had injured uh, Isabella back in the day and killed their unborn child, and like there's he, a whole personal I, connection there. I think I don't think it's like supposed to be directly, but I think like he screwed them over, mm. didn't show up or something, and yes. because of that, she was shot and had a miscarriage. Yes. And I'm just like, why? Yeah, why did we have any of this? We don't need it. Was it because they had Richard Gere on contract and they needed to cram him into a movie, and so they've come up with this role for him, like? Again, they wanted Richard Gere for the Jackal. Or was Sidney Poitier like, I'll do the role, but I'm not doing any action scenes, so they had to get Richard Gere to do it. Yeah, Sidney Poitier did his best Morgan Freeman, and then... <laughs> I Mr. Tibbs. I'm trying to do a good Sidney Poitier. He's just got such a unique voice. He really does. I was I was really happy to see him in this, because I felt like it gave this movie a little bit of legitimacy out of the gate. How many times do you think in Sidney Poitier's life, um, when he goes over to a dinner, someone says, guess who's coming? 
or guess who's here? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I've heard that every single day for the last 57 years. Yeah, I don't know. Like, all this stuff, I just feel like, keep it simple, stupid. It's like I learned in English class. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Your English teacher taught you how to kiss? Jason, um, that's kind of why I brought you over here. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about us. and uh, Oh, I know how to kiss, Brendan. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, that's not what I've heard, but uh, I'm thinking this podcast. Who's been is, talking to you? Uh, your wife. Uh, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that was me reacting to you. <laughs> Actually, it was me trying to cough, but also not cough and make it something funny. I mean, I have so many questions. Why Why does, like, <laughs> this feels like an episode of my other podcast. <laughs> why, why does, like, when Bruce Willis, the jackal, he at one point he's he's driving away from hi, hijackers? Like, there's one point where he hijackers are after him, not the police. Okay. And he drives into that parking garage, remember? Yeah. Okay. And he's yeah, like speeding yeah. Oh, around. There, were, there were other Russian mobsters, I think. What is that spray stuff he puts down? The guy, like, puts his hand on it and starts foaming at oh, the mouth? Oh, I, I assume that must be, like, sarin nerve gas or something. Like, he must have some poison available. But it's the only time he uses poison in the whole movie. Yeah. Because that's like, a lady's weapon. <laughs> like, wouldn't that kill everyone who comes into the parking garage? Well, I mean, I mean, if it's a contact poison, no, not necessarily. As long as they don't try to open that uh, that minivan. Also, so let's talk about the minivan for a sec for two things. One, it is a callback to the original because he does the bit where he's um, he puts, like, the paint on it and then he times himself, like, spraying it off. Yeah. And that's kind of similar to, well, I don't think he sprays it off. I think he actually just fucking paints it. Edward Fox just... No, stuck. no, he does spray it off. There's a scene where he he's... Uh... No, he paints it. He paints he's it out a different in the, color. He's out in the like woods or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He paints it a different color. I like to think that the the person that wrote this movie was like just wrote down quick, like, oh yeah, sprays the paint off. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah that's see? how much he was paying attention. But also that his uh, so I think in the original, like Edward Fo- Edward Fox had all these like different like classic like European sports cars and things that he was driving in. In this movie, the Jackal drives a Dodge Caravan for the entire thing, and it and only slightly undersells how badass he is. Um, <laughs> Although I can see, ultimately, it makes sense because the the gun is very big and it is mounted in the back of the caravan. Uh, I'm sure Dodge loved that. You've got enough room to mount a massive uh, machine gun in the back of your car. Dodge Caravan, the vehicle of choice for first lady murderers. That's right. That's right. They didn't like Hillary. <laughs> Dodge Caravan's had a big uh, big issue with her ever since she uh, got them. Well, what happened was she she, she found out Dodge Caravan's oh, email yes. and she signed them up for a bunch of newsletters. Oh, yeah. And people don't like move. that. People That's don't like move. that. No. Hashtag emails. Emails. I do think that when he's going through the parking garage too, he's being super not not conspicuous. <laughs> he's going, he's like jetting around the corners. Yeah, like. no, he like because he, he gets ahead where they can't see him, and then he hits the gas and just yeah. fucking blasts ahead so he can get in there and get his uh, little uh, little wash done. Um, but then, yeah, but then the one gangster dies, and that's it. We cut away, and we never figure out any resolution to that. We don't like, see anything else. Him? Yeah. What did they tell that guy's family? Where's the funeral scene? Where's Jason, the funeral? Exactly. You need to see every character enter and exit every scene, That's don't right. you? Absolutely. I want I want every detail in my movie. You basically want a Neil Breen film. Mm-hmm. Neil, Neil Breen to direct every film. Absolutely. Because that's the thing about Neil Breen is that he knows what to show, which is everything. <laughs> which is everything and also nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that this movie loses, what I really loved in the original, is that I, I liked in the original how we never got these scenes of like... 
like the two scenes in this movie, especially the one on the dock, because hmm. uh, Bruce Willis gets himself a boat, hmm. and they actually have like a bit of a gunfight at the dock. Yeah, um, with him, uh, Richard Gere, who doesn't have a gun yet, and and Koslova, the which the which struck me as very unprofessional on his part, like to just start shooting at somebody in an open public area. Like, come on, man, you're well, better than this, apparently. Well, that's the thing. Like, they do have him go from like careful assassin to shooting in an open public space in no time flat. That's that's another thing. But but what I was try- what I was gonna say though, besides that, was just that the the original had you didn't have a single scene with both characters until the very end. Mm. And I think that I love that. I think that yeah. the, the build was great, and it just kept you. They kept getting close, but yeah. you never got that scene. And this exactly, scene, exactly. And in that scene at the dock, he should have seen him and waved at him and fucking got the fuck out of there. Or it had like a near. Yeah. A near see, like almost see him, yeah. but instead, that's we need that scene because we need Richard Gere to say there's a mole because he didn't look surprised to see me, and then we have that. And that's we, enough evidence. Yeah, well, let's let's play this the mole scene because it's basically identical. We talked about it before. I know about it being like not having as much weight it because wasn't, of obviously because the guy's Russian. It doesn't come off quite as like f- like just stuffily British, where he just is kind of like yes, I'll leave, of course. And well, then, and then there's no there's the, the no background about the uh, about the about the woman who got the information out of him. This was recorded at one a.m. this morning. It's a call to a number in Brighton Beach, New York. Item four. At 1.05 p.m., Director Brown is scheduled to meet the First Lady at a diplomatic reception at the White House regarding the No Hope Hospital opening. Other participants will be decided. That information came out of this room. Who? Whose voice is it on the tape? Mine. Mr. Ambassador, we have arranged to hold a 9 p.m. out-of-float flight to Moscow. A car is waiting to drive Colonel Bolitonov to the airport. How did you know whose phone to tap? I didn't. So I tapped everybody's. But uh, I have diplomatic immunity. Who authorized you to tap my telephone? I did, Ambassador. We're currently examining documents taken from Director Balatanov's apartment. Now, I'm willing to allow that I'm not well-versed in aspects of diplomatic uh, immunity. I knew you were going to comment on this. But I'm pretty sure diplomatic immunity means that if you accidentally commit a crime that wasn't in when it wasn't intentionally a crime like you did something that basically was like a violation of a cultural norm or something that's what diplomatic immunity is generally meant to provide protection from not to like stop you from having your phones tapped now generally there is some security and i guess agreement not to do that but yeah. you know people are doing that i mean this goes by the uh, lethal weapon 2 rules of mm. uh, diplomatic immunity well he didn't scream it quite as loud as i'd hope i have diplomatic immunity copper immune what does he say? I, mean, I, I haven't seen Lethal Weapon 2, I, but I think it's this. immunity revoked. Immunity revoked. Immunity this. Whatever. Immunity this, motherfucker. <laughs> this is my Mel Gibson impression, motherfucker. Wow. I would do my Mel Gibson impression, but I don't want us to get taken off the air. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know what women think, motherfucker. No. 
It's what women want. Come on. Oh, well, I know what they think. I know what they want. I mean, we should probably mention J.K. Simmons, even though he really doesn't do much. But Well, he kind of fucks things up. He's But that's a weird plot convenience. So mm. they have this thing where... Um, well, they, at least they foreshadow it. They, yeah. they, they explain it, and then it pays off later. They kind of explain well, it. Well, he, he, they're writing the report about the Isabella and where she is and whatever, and he goes to... Uh, Sidney Poitier goes to J.K. Simmons, and he's, and he's basically like, don't put this in the report. I don't want this in the report. We don't want her, uh, you know, whatever. And then later it, it's in the report. And he's like, oh, that buy the book motherfucker. But that's it. <laughs> that's it. Like Poitier has to be like that buy the book motherfucker because mm. I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. I wouldn't have got that from him just being like, hey, should I put this person's name in the report? Like that just seems like a normal thing but, for but someone to do. But isn't he pretty clear about like, hey, don't do what you normally do. Just don't put it in there. And then he did. But that's what I mean. Like, though, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's such a plot convenience. And I mean, he gets shot in the head. Much yeah, like last week's trouble. film, he gets killed. Not nearly as cool as dude getting shot from under the stairs. No, no. That was really neat. Um, because and this whole, like, ridiculous scene of Bruce Willis playing, like, music on a boombox to yeah. distract them and then killing everyone, including it, Basically, he's basically the video game hitman at that point. Like, he's using, like, environmental things to distract people and then sneaking up on them yeah. and murdering them. Yeah, he's Timoth- a, Timothy Oliver. Sneaking up on them directly to their face and shooting them in the head. Sneaking up in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Where they can see him. But he does He does uh, kill uh, a major character, Koslova. Yeah. Played by Diane Venora. By the way, um, I talked about Richard Gere doing like accent lessons. Mm. So did Diane Venora, and I think she sounds much more convincing. She does. I mean, if, if her Russian accent is bad, it didn't register with my Western ears. I mean, it might be a little bit cartoonish, but I think it's more convincing than Oh, yeah. I'm Declan. Declan. Declan McLean. And then, because sometimes it's De- Declan, and sometimes it's Declan. Declan. Like, just, it Declan. wavers in and out from Irish and to Richard Gere. And Richard Gere is a perfectly fine actor, but yeah. uh, maybe accents aren't his best deal. No. Stick with Primal Fear, Richard Gere. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, going into the, the, the finale here, because this movie ends with a giant shootout, a subway chase. Um, Day of the Jackal ends when he goes into the room and shoots him. Yeah. So it's like, it's just an action tropey yeah, finale. Yeah, because the Jackal, you know, he gets cornered, but he doesn't go crazy. Like, he doesn't have a break. I didn't buy that in this movie. Yeah, because well, Bruce it. Willis loses his mind. Yeah, he goes nuts. He grabs a girl and he's like holding her with a gun to her head and stuff, and holding her hostage and just kind of like. Yeah, because I would be led to believe that this character, if everything failed, has like twenty backup plans. Yeah, we already heard that he like they say they, the line is like he worked for twenty years where he couldn't make a mistake. Yeah. So, like, you're telling me that this one thing doesn't go right and he fucking, fucking abandons all hope? I mean, I guess if he's never made a mistake before, he certainly doesn't know how to deal with it if he does. Can we listen to him freaking out? Sure. Oh, my God! Don't tell me what to make What are you going to do, Declan? Just can't seem to protect any of your women. Let her go. She's nothing to do with this. Now you can save this girl. What's your name? Maggie. Maggie. You can save Maggie, you see? You can save her right now. Just have to put down your little gun. That Irish accent crept in there again. Uh, Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just, he goes crazy at the end and, and it just, I don't know. I mean, I guess... See, this is the problem, is that because this is a an alleged remake or, or 
take on that story that it we think of it in terms of that original movie and that's a bad thing i don't know why they couldn't have just made this movie on its own terms without having to you yeah, know, and then maybe they could have done something more interesting than what they did, but instead they end up with this pale imitation. Like, it's weird. It's almost, <laughs> it's weird. It's almost like those few key scenes that we said are like retreads of the mm-hmm. original. It's almost like that's like their fan service. It, scenes. It's like the contractual obligation that it is a remake of the Jackal because it yeah, has yeah. those few little things that connect it. <laughs> it's like if if uh, Bill and Ted, like if the new movie, which I haven't seen, Meaning but it's it. like if the new movie they walked by a phone booth and they were like. Oh, that looks familiar. Whoa. It's like, ah, we got them. We hooked them. We hooked the old fans. Ah, <laughs> oh, God damn it. But yeah, there, this is a, it's it's a ridiculous finale. And then, of course, Isabella just pops up out of nowhere, like a goddamn RKO, yeah. and and is the one that yeah, kills the jackal. For no rhyme or reason that's ever explained, she just shows up and shoots him in the Where head. was she? Yeah, where was she? She wasn't with them. No. No, she was, I guess she was supposedly in hiding or, or somewhere to keep her safe, but then she shows up to the subway and murders this guy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Jason, you mentioned that we find out later it's the first lady he's after. Yeah. How do we find that out? Uh, do you remember how he finds out? How did he find out? He finds out by watching an interview with the first lady by Larry King. Right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> because Larry King is like, say someone wanted to... Uh, Murder you. Murder you. I guess it's not impossible, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Why is Larry, why would King, Larry King do that? Why is he asking that question? And why is the first lady? What it's is only the, the second most obvious thing that's seen on a TV in this movie. The more, the first most obvious thing is in the very beginning where Bruce Willis is sitting in a room waiting for the gangster to come in and talk to him. And he's watching like a nature documentary as a jackal tries to take down a lion or something. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I saw my eyes rolled. It's like, Really? So far back in my head that they came out the back. Like, it was just like, oh, my God. That didn't happen in the original, did it? He wasn't watching the thing about a jackal at any point. No, the original is so subtle and nuanced. And I know, like, you can't... You had to expect this going in, but I forgot how ridiculously on the nose this movie is. (laughs) Um... I want to I want to point out one key scene which we didn't really talk about, and that's when Bruce Willis is um, when the jackal actually has to um, pretend to be in, he goes to a gay bar. Yes, and he pretends to be interested in a guy there, and did they this, have a, did something similar happen in the original, or am I confusing it with a different movie? No, watched? it did. Okay, but it was more subtle. Well, obviously, yeah. But I mean, we kind of got the idea that it was a thing. Yeah. Um, but he kisses him, and number one, I think that kiss was fake. Yes. But, it, but the fact that it, there was a same-sex kiss in a major Hollywood movie in 1997, that's pretty impressive. Can I tell you what happened in the test screening, though? Please tell me. So in the test screening, he actually kills the guy in that scene. Mm. So he kisses him and then shoots him. Test audiences, unfortunately, cheered. Oh, wow. Were they testing this movie in Missouri? That's what I... I don't know. <laughs> Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they cheered. And I guess even like Bruce Willis, Richard Gere, and the director were horrified. They're like, this is not what we're going for. Yeah, no. So they did add that scene, um, which is weird because it's kind of in the original too. But they kind of went back and added the scene where they have uh, the gay man catch a glimpse of the news... See that Bruce yeah, Willis... Yeah, he, he shows up to his house, he calls him, because he said, oh, I didn't think I'd call, did you? And then he yeah. shows up to his house, and he's just there, and he sees him on the news, and then, yeah, he just shoots yeah, him Yeah, they're watching the news, or Bruce Willis is watching the news, the gay guy sees the news over over his shoulder, 
puts two and two together that he's this guy that they're after and uh, the jackal shoots him. Just coldly pulls his gun out and shoots him as he's eating some uh, Chinese food. Which that is, I, I, that, that, I wanted to see more of that kind of stuff, though. Mm. Like that kind of cold yeah. attitude, which I don't think we got a lot of. No. Um, but yeah, so he does that and then they, they recut that. So it looked more like he killed him because he saw that he was the jackal. Yeah. Um, Bruce Willis actually fought hard to keep the kiss in. That's surprisingly. Good, yeah. Because yeah. I think he faked it. <laughs> <laughs> Another funny little thing, because Richard Gere and Bruce Willis were like almost never on set with each other, um, they would often they would often just like meet while they were shooting their scene separate and be like, how's your movie going? <laughs> Do you know why Richard Gere also like has that scene where he's like, I need a good razor? Because he had a hamster in his ass. What? No. It's a gerbil, oh, first of all. Right. Okay. Um, no, but the scene where Richard Gere has that goatee at first, yeah. and he says, oh, I need a good razor. Well, I, I assume because in prison you probably get shitty uh, ways to shave because they're not going to give you fucking razors. Well, no, they wrote that into the last second because mm. Richard Gere wanted to have that look for the whole movie. And the studio was like, nope. So they had to write in a scene where Richard Gere is like, I need a good razor. And then he's clean shaven for the rest of the movie. So we get the full Richard Gere. Yeah. Because, God forbid, if he had a goatee, this movie would have failed. Yeah, no, he wouldn't have been the Richard Gere we wanted to see. <laughs> right. All right, Jason, before we get into your bits and bobs, and I know you probably have some. i got a few. Do you want to hear the long list of actors that were considered for Declan Mulqueen? And who all turned it down? Yeah. All right. Well, it turned it down or it just didn't work out, whatever. This is a staggering list. All okay. right, you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Richard Dean Anderson. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can do an Irish accent. Uh, yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah. Alec Baldwin. I think he could pull off the accent, Maybe, though. maybe. He, I mean, he is Irish. He could. Maybe he might have been even a bit old by that point, but... Uh, 97? Yeah. No, he was like 40. Yeah, too old. <laughs> Richard Gere is almost 50 in this movie. Is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, fuck yeah. All right, why not? <laughs> okay, I'll save this one for the end. Kevin Costner. Okay, yeah. Irish accent. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Well, I mean, time. yeah, he, he did that bad Boston accent in 13 days, so I'd love to hear his attempt at an Irish accent. Harrison Ford. Uh, I'm Irish. Mel Gibson. He could probably do an Irish accent. Tom, oh, no, Tommy no. Lee Jones. He already did a bad Irish accent in a movie, I think. Michael Keaton. Okay, maybe. Well, Liam Neeson. Well, at least he's got the oh, yeah, accent. Exactly. Actually, you know what? It. Honestly, I think that's the best casting Yeah, so far. really. Well, I mean, if you're going to cast, why not cast an actual Irish person? Ron Perlman. Doing an Irish accent? I don't know. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Okay, maybe, maybe. Steven Seagal. No, no, no. Sylvester Stallone. No, 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 no. Patrick Swayze. Mm, maybe. You ready for the two big ones? Yeah, I yeah, saved yeah. them for the end here. Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's, I mean, what? I mean, okay, Red Heat worked because, yeah, he was foreign, but that's not going to work. And the great Gary Busey. I, I kind of do want to hear Gary Busey do an Irish accent. <laughs> Try that out. Though all of those people were considered for Declan Mulqueen. Wow. wow. And I'm guessing a lot of phone calls not returned. I, yeah, I want to know what Schwarzenegger had to say about this. So you want me to play an Irish guy? <laughs> I could play Irish at the top of the morning. God, but Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Jason... We're going to take a brief break. We're going to hear some ads. Ads from our lovely sponsors. And we'll be right back.
Jason's got bits. Jason's got bobs. Jason's got bits and bobs. Bits Bits and bobs. bobs. He's going to read those bits and bobs to you. You're going to hear his bits and bobs. We're not talking about his dick and nuts. But if you want to see that, you can follow him on Twitter. Only fans. All right. Bits and bobs. What do I got here? It better start with most late nineties opening credits. Yeah, no, ever. totally bad. Like I said, like I said before, this is the best part of the movie. The the music is fucking rocking, and it's a cool editing of the footage. It, it watch this music video and then burn the DVD. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Wait, onto an empty disc? Yes, and then burn this original copy so that nobody can have it. Onto another disc. Yes, and, and then, then burn it in a trash can. I got nothing. There you go. Uh, I don't know why Americans are involved in this Russian thing. It seems kind of like a weirdly out of their jurisdiction. And I am always uncomfortable when Americans violate other nations' sovereignty in that way. <laughs> That's one of your pet peeves. Uh, there's a dude when, that... When sovereignty a, gets Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Sovereignty is very important. Um, <laughs> there's a dude that looked like Sid Haig, but is not Sid Haig. Oh, another bit that they repeat from the original is um, the guy who picks up the mail for the terrorists. Yes. um, Because he goes back and forth to pick up the mail, and they capture him and kidnap him and and torture him, and he ends up dying, just like the original film, and all he says is jackal. See, now that's weird, too, because I thought in that scene he he called them jackals. I thought he was like, you're jackals, and then he died. (laughs) You're all jackals. So in my mind, he calls them jackals. They take that as a clue, and it's a total coincidence that everything works out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bruce is all business. Oh, by the way, one of Bruce Willis's one of Bruce Willis's disguises is definitely Steven Seagal. Yes, no, because he's got the fucking ponytail and the goatee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's no question. <laughs> Here's one of the more interesting things in this movie that clearly, if you're a rich person in 1997, you have access to top end technology that may not even exist today, because you get to order your crazy advanced weapon online with your voice. And Stephen Hawking is the concierge that is helping you. On a shitty computer. Yeah, on a, like a Packard Bell on Windows 95. And, like, the way, what he's saying, what Bruce Willis is saying, like, interested, blah, blah, blah. Like, the computer would not pick that up. Yeah, th- this computer is capable of reading a certain subtlety in the human voice that, that <laughs> real life hasn't quite got to yet. That's like, when, that's like in Speed 2 when Willem Dafoe has that amazing Wi-Fi, when he's, like, 10 miles away and he's able to control the boat still. And I, I like that it's an early version of kind of, like, PayPal because he's already got his information in there because he's just like, oh, yeah, wire them $200,000, you know, for the money, and <laughs> yeah. it, it does it. Yeah, to all my regular accounts. And the computer's like, I know what you're talking about, I know about, what you mean. Sir. I'll just grab them from your regular accounts, sir. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. I want that. Remember, I want it. Remember cyber cafes? Yeah, absolutely. And I saw him go into one in this movie, and I thought it was weird where he's like, can I use your computer? And he's like, yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, that's your whole business is renting out computers, and you're just going to let him use your computer? You, no wonder they went away. Fuck. <laughs> wait, they're not still around to this day? <laughs> you'd, you'd think, but no, no, they all just died. Oh, no. Actually, no, it's true. It's not true. They are actually still around in, in Asia. In oh. China and stuff, it is still quite popular. As I, I, I also love how he says, like, uh, does, does this one, can I go on the internet? <laughs> Yeah. And then he immediately goes on this public computer yeah. and has a like super top secret talk with his like Intel guy. Yeah, I mean that's that's real pro. Oh, also in the computer that he's using in the office, I, I said it was like a Packard Bell. It's not. It's actually a really interesting type of Macintosh computer that I remember from that era that if you were really rich, you had that one because it had like the built-in speakers on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was uh it was neat. Um when he kills Koslova that whole scene with the yeah. boombox. He tells her, make sure you tell Declan he can't protect his women. Yeah. Which is obviously meant as like a taunting thing. Yes. 
Then she tells him it. Yeah, yeah she does. <laughs> that yeah. was weird. I thought that was. Weird I thought it was interesting because he's like, "Oh, you get about twenty minutes to live," and then they still managed to get all these people in the ambulance there inside twenty minutes. Like, I just thought it was. Quick. I just thought it was weird that when Declan yeah. gets there, she's like, "Oh yeah, he wanted me to say you, you're shitty at protecting your women." Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you so you helped oh, his psychological like the first lady. <laughs> so that was. Oh my god, that connection that they make is insane. But you also helped his psychological torture of Richard yeah, Gere. Absolutely. As your as your dying breath. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, How are they hearing each other on the chopper? Yeah, well. At one point they don't even have the headsets in, they're just talking. They're just screaming at each other, that's fine. No, they're not they're talking. They're literally just talking <laughs> like we're talking right now. Well, I mean they're they they have got very resonant voices, Brendan. That makes a uh, uh, Says, oh, so yeah, Richard Gere. I, I was trying to. Do, I, I thought of it as like Patty Face, but it's more like Patty Voice, I guess. It's because he's not, he's not doing anything different to his appearance other than wearing that black leather jacket. But he is definitely affecting a Patty Voice. Patty Face. Yeah. A lot less offensive than blackface. But still, it's still a bit offensive. Yeah. Um, I, I saw some Chevrolet Caprices in this movie. They're <laughs> classic cars. Okay. Um, so I respect those. Uh, he had no plate on his van when he was driving around. That's not smart. I mean, that'll get you pulled over. Hmm. Can't be doing that. Just some, some standard advice, okay? Uh, he put poison on the handle. That was kind of neat. Shoot a he sh They shot a pumpkin in this one as opposed to a watermelon. You got to make it your own. Absolutely. You got to do your own thing. Uh, I, I I found I found it funny when he casually was putting the gun on his boat. Like it just seems like he's in the middle of like a, just an open marina and he's shoving this machine gun into like the the boom of his uh, sail. Like <laughs> again, sometimes he's super subtle and sometimes he's not. Well, maybe he's smarter than we think. Maybe operating in plain sight is his mo and nobody notices. Well, clearly based on the ending of this movie, he's not smarter than we think, Jason. Well, that's true. Ugh. Dodge Caravan, greatest assassin vehicle of all time. Oh, at one point, the, they're in the, the Isabella's house, and uh, a Russian lady writes, lights up a cigarette, and it's like, in, even in 1998, you couldn't get away with just lighting up a cigarette in somebody's house. You gotta, you can't do that. That's not nice. You gotta check that shit. Unless she saw a fucking ashtray, maybe she did, but unless she saw a fucking ashtray, you don't do that. The ashtray was not established. It was not established. There was no ashtray established, and I'm saying that right now. Uh, on this podcast, you're saying that in The Jackal, the 1997 film, there was no establishing shot of an ashtray. I can confirm that fact. Wow. Uh, they, uh, J.K. Simmons and the Russian lady have bad uh, tri trigger discipline. Uh, they're walking around with their fingers right on the trigger. That's not how you hold a gun. I'm not a gun guy, but I know that much. Uh, I mean, J.K. Simmons, ba bad, bad uh, also, at his job in general. why did he want her to deliver that message to him? Like, like, did she, did he really want her, him to catch her? Or, or him, did he, did the jackal really want to get caught? Because he should have just shot her. That seems like a rookie mistake, not just to execute her right then and there and move on. She's dead. She's not a problem to anymore. To tell her, like, you can't protect your woman? Yeah, why, why go through that bullshit? And like, again, that's like, they're, they're, they're constantly uh, on the line between a... A genius assassin mm. who gets right to the point and, and a, a serial killer. Bloodthirsty serial killer. Yeah. yeah like it's fucker. like make your decision. This movie did wanted to be both. Mm. So at the end of the movie, he dresses up as a cop. Classic. First of all, yeah. Which uh, I, I assume that's what uh, mass killer Anders Breivik was inspired by was to uh, uh, by this movie. Wow. Dress up as a cop. Wow. So obviously the point of this was he has this remote thing so he can set it up in the minivan and he's far away so he can get the fuck out of there. Right. But when he when he goes to shoot the gun. Uh, the uh, Richard Gere shoots the scope, 
he hits the telescopic sight on the rifle and then that knocks it out and so he can't see but then he just hits the button to fire it right but even though he's already targeted on hillary he somehow like i don't know why he takes so long he, like his finger like moves so slow as he goes over to push it on the button and when he hits so i'm like okay he's it's like he wants to get that precise shot and hit and when he hits the button, it just opens up in full automatic fire. Yeah. Like, like it, he just needed one one bullet, these big DU-80 ta- tank shells. But instead, he opens up and just fucking rakes across the building. See, I think he saw that Richard Gere was trying to stop him. And he yeah. wanted to make it fun. Yeah, I suppose. He wanted to make it dramatic. I know he wanted to make a big uh, big statement and everything. Yeah. But, but, then he, but then it was also very bad because he, I don't think he killed anyone. No, he he, had, he only wings uh, yeah. uh, Cindy Poitier's leg. Exactly. Which, by the way, I'm going to say right now. How the hell did is, that happen? How the hell did he survive yeah, if he got a, winged in the leg? Yeah, no, that, that bullet should have killed him. That, like, well, even just getting near him. He shouldn't have only got one. Yeah. If that bullet fires 100 bullets before the first bullet hits someone, he would have got 100 bullets in his fucking yeah, leg. In the, air, the concussion in there would have killed him. Like, that's... Yeah. It's nuts. It's insane. All I'm saying is, Sidney Poitier, you should have died in your final film role. <laughs> Absolutely. Should have finished this career off. Right? <laughs> so, 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 yeah, it's at the end of the movie, it's revealed that he's actually a bad, bad at his job. And then he gets further bags and he breaks. We heard that scene. Uh, and then it's just a lot of fucking bullshit, man. <laughs> we have that classic trope where, you know, you wonder what they're going to do with Richard Gere after. Because we didn't really talk about it too much, but they get him out of prison to do this right mm-hmm. and they basically are like he's like i want my freedom yeah. like we're not going to give you that we might give you like a reduced sentence and we'll protect your your former flame isabella yeah. who now has a husband who apparently does not wear the pants no, no. <laughs> uh, because he, he is completely but out he, of in the dark i believe he's intentionally oblivious because she yeah. says he doesn't know about her stuff and he doesn't want to know but what they do is they have uh, that scene where sydney poitier is like listen i'm gonna walk away and get something i'm gonna be about a half hour yeah. I hope you're back when I get back. Not even. I think he said like three minutes. He literally is going to go walk across the street and grab a cup of coffee. And no, he does he say 30. He, he says it's going to take 30 minutes. Basically giving him a head start to like yeah. go back to Ireland. Yeah. And one more thing I want to mention before that that happens is when he's chasing him through the subway tunnels, we see what I have to believe is some very bad CGI when Richard Gere is caught between oh, two trains. Oh, my God. And they're going both ways. And he's like holding on for dear life. That is the worst. That's some, there's some real bad green screen CGI combination. That there. that I I laughed hard mm. at that. But that besides that, like yeah, and then he dies, and that's it. That's all I got. Fuck this movie. All right. Well, Jason, this movie cost. How much do you think this movie cost? Uh, I would say with Bruce Willis's pay, we'll say thirty-five million dollars. Sixty million dollars. How much do you think it made? Uh, Sixty-two million dollars. A hundred and fifty-nine million dollars. It was a hit. Um, financial hit, yes. Mm. But yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to say about this movie, so I'll just ask you, Jason, um, what are we thinking about the Jackal? Is it replacing Day of the Jackal on the BFI Top 100? Obviously not, you idiot. It's never happening, and I don't care what you think about this movie. It's not good. It's not bad. Like, like I don't think this is a terrible movie. Like, it's to be fair, it's not the worst thing ever made. But it's like, why didn't they just make a movie with Bruce Willis as an assassin and do their own thing? Yeah. Why did they need to invoke the name of this fantastic movie from the seventies? I mean, that was what they did in the nineties. I mean, they remade the Mod Squad for Christ's sake. So, but unnecessary. Save yourself the time. Watch the original Day of the Jackal. Unless you're super interested in seeing what they did with this, there's no reason. I was trying to think of like an alternate Bruce Willis as a villain movie to see, and I can't think of one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He seems to be a hero. Uh, you always watch Tears of the Sun, and then he smiles at the end. 
Don't he's wa- not the bad guy. Or, but... you, or you can not watch Tears yeah. of the Sun. Um, I don't know. Just fucking watch Die Hard. This movie, I know Jason feels a little less strongly about this than yeah. I do, but I, I think this movie's terrible. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of the acting is really that great, and I'm not even blaming that on the actors. I think Jack Black is like, you know, Jack Black is fun in his brief, like, little appearance. Um, but this is a super unnecessary remake, and yeah. I don't even know why it needs to be a remake. It's just, so I guess to summarize, I would replace this with Day of the Jackal on the BFI Top 100. Absolutely. I put it at number one. Here we go. Bump it up and to the top, baby. English Patient up to number two. Yep. Women in Love number three. That's a, that's a, now that's a triple header. Uh, Killing Fields number uh, zero. That's going to be above it. Yeah. It's a special list. Well, everybody should see the Killing Fields. They may not enjoy it, but they should see it. But yeah, that's all I have. Uh, Jason. We are rounding up. We have one more. Next week is our Christmas episode. And so I thought it'd be fun because last time we talked about Scrooge um, with Alistair Sim, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the 1970 version of Scrooge starring Albert Finney and a brief appearance from our old pal Alec Guinness. Nice. So we're going to talk about that next week. Jason's reacting, by the way, guys. Again, he doesn't know what's coming up. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. That's great. I, that sounds interesting. I'm, I'm down to see how that plays out. I believe it's a musical. Oh, Just even better. To... Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about 1970 Scrooge next week. Woo! Um, and it'll be our Christmas episode. Yay! And then we'll be away for a couple weeks. But yeah. you guys will be fine. You guys will handle it. Um, but that's uh, that's all I got. So I just want to say uh, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook by searching for For Screen. Dan Gundry. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod on Twitter. M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Come by, say hello, check out my shit. Don't assassinate him. No, no, I Don't appreciate not. But, but if you're going to, use a cool uh, a cool tiny weapon and not a massive fucking cannon. Not the biggest gun ever yeah, made. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, that's I guess that's it. So I just got to say, until we talk about Scrooge next week, 1970, I just got to say to you, Jason, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Jackal! The jackal gonna come and get you, gonna chase you down through the woods and eat your face off. I'm a sailor, pain, and I lost my leg! Climbing up the top sails, I lost my leg! Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby.
We love good movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot, holes a gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com.